even though I'm leaning on the side of passion more, I've always believed that if you don't find a way to make money, you will be in deep trouble after you are 30. Mm. Okay, that's my gut sense. Mm. Because when I first started working, I was like 24. Mm-hmm. And my salary was like 1800 <laughs> That was crazy. Like, my opinion, that was incredibly stupid of me to take the job. You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Welcome back to the BFF Podcast, everyone. As you already know, I'm your host, Junus. And today we have Kenneth on the show. He is a part business nerd, part reckless creative, 100% Marvel geek. And like with any superhero... By day, Kenneth works in a brand management for a real estate management firm. And by night, he runs Providence, a social media content agency. Welcome, Kenneth, to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I think that we had a really good conversation earlier this year when it comes to brutally honest career advice for Gen Z and millennials. Today, I really wanted to touch on the deeper topic of what might shape the decision of someone just entering the job market or maybe changing industries, as well as the recent Tangping phenomenon. So you you said something on your blog which really struck me. And this was where you said that the last 18 months have showed that you weren't wrong about the youth today. They are as hungry, as driven, and as concerned about achieving success as you and I. A vast majority of 20 to 24-year-olds that you have met are not entitled they're not soft like the typically termed strawberry generation. But what they are is afraid. So can you tell us a little bit more about your thinking behind this? <laughs> okay. So I think to start off, right, um, I interact with a lot of people like 10 or more years younger than me. So when I was in Boston University, I was teaching undergrads on top of studying. Mm. And a lot of the students in the master's degree program that I was in were like, in their early or Mm mid-twenties, okay? And a lot of them are like high achievers. Mm. But whether you're talking about undergrads, um, master's degree students, or now, right, when I come back, um, people who are working, so colleagues, friends, my relatives, in the age range, they have this overwhelming anxiety Mm. of, am I achieving enough? Mm. You know, am I doing the right thing? And... You know, a lot of them have already started working. Yep. And they're only working for like one or two years. Mm -hmm. But they are in a rush to accomplish, Mm. right? They're like, oh, why why am I not getting the promotion? Why am I not getting the salary that I want yet? Mm. Why am I still, (laughs) you know, why am I still stuck in this same position doing the same thing? Mm. And at the same time, they are thinking about the side hustle. They are thinking about the the crypto investment. They're thinking (laughs) about the stock. Mm-hmm. Act, you know, the stock market. They're thinking about, you know, should I get insurance, right? They're thinking about 10 million things and then still wondering whether they're doing it right. Mm. Um, 
And I think a lot of times they don't realize how much they have already done mm. and how much they have already achieved. I have a really good example of a friend. I think she's like 24. Mm-hmm. And I met her while I was doing my master's degree. So just to give you an idea of how much she has achieved, right? Mm. She's achieved a double degree. She's been on TV as a reporter. Mm -hmm. She was a television news anchor. Mm. Uh, She is, I think, a violinist lead chair in Mm. a symphony orchestra. Mm. And she achieved all this before she's 25. Wow. And yet, uh, the first time I actually had a really, like, real heart-to-heart talk with her, she told me, I'm not entirely sure if I have done enough in my life. And this was at 25. You had that chat at 25. Now she's 25. We had that mm. chat when she was like 23, just turning 24. And I was just really surprised. Mm. Yeah. That is crazy, <laughs> right? Being judged the amount of achievement that somebody feels that they need to have by a certain age. I think a lot of this is also exacerbated by this Forbes 30 under 30. Yeah. I'm not even sure if they're going to have a Forbes 20 under 20. I really don't know, right? Because I would really like to see 50 over 50, like people who are doing interesting things or even something like some people who are achieving amazing things post-70, mm. post-80. Mm. But going back to this Forbes 30 under 30, there seems to be this race to be as successful as possible, as young as you can. Is right? this really stupid flex culture? Everyone that can flex on social media is flexing on social media. Mm-hmm. But I always believe like, even if you're making money, you're mm. entitled to quiet enjoyment of your money mm. and not like loud, Lamborghini, flaunting kind of wealth. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that it isn't wise to do that because like, what are you achieving in the end? Like, what are you contributing to society, right? Mm. So ultimately, what you're trying to achieve is about a certain thought process, wisdom, mm. knowledge. And I think those things are more valuable when you sit at a table, have a drink, and when people ask you about it, you talk about that, Mm. right? If your entire life's focus is on that, Mm. then it's a lot easier to navigate relationships as well because people won't just look at you and go, that's the person who's got the Lamborghini. Mm -hmm. That's the person who's gotten the watch. Yeah. You know? That's so interesting because... I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe we we hang around in different social circles, right? Mm. But then I do find that my experience with Gen Z, even for millennials where they are seen to be focusing more on passion than pay, and I'm maybe a very old-fashioned millennial that <laughs> focuses a lot on the importance of saving and accumulating money from an early age, I was surprised to see that they were very much passion-focused. They seem to care a lot more about social issues, mm. environmental causes, and I, at least for my social circles, I don't see them flexing as much. I kind of see people my generation are a little bit older they are, where they're flexing more because they are the ones where... Yeah, they were coming out of like complete abject poverty. Exactly. Yeah. And the generation after that, their children are the ones who are sort of getting that wealth, you know, be it mm. working in jobs that pay 100000 investing, building businesses. And that's where they are first-generation rich. And what I've seen, even observing first-generation rich, they tend to do a lot of that flashy Lamborghini. Yes. They want to wear everything with labels. If you're buying somebody with Gucci, they want the whole world to know that it's Gucci. Whereas for old money, they tend to be a lot more sophisticated with their style. If anything, you are able to tell that this thing is expensive from the quality, not just 
whatever logo that's emblazoned at the top. Yeah. You know, I've always thought of the people that I work with and work for as mentors. And one of the interesting things that they have taught me that, that has helped true is we will spend money on things that last long and are of value over long term. Mm. And we will never spend money on things that are flashy. Mm. So everything they do in business and in life is about can it last. Mm. And that philosophy kind of has bled into me. So when I buy a bag, right, maybe the bag is $500, like sitting right there. Right. But that $500 has to last me 10 years. So it Basically a cost-per-wear discussion. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't own branded goods, but if I were to ever buy something branded, I'll make sure that like that's the only one item that I would buy and then I would make it last long. Mm. And mind you, I have not always earn good money. Mm. Even though I'm leaning on the side of passion more, I've always believed that if you don't find a way to make money, you will be in deep trouble after you are 30. Mm. Okay, that's my gut sense. Mm. Because when I first started working, I was like 24. Mm-hmm. And my salary was like 1800 <laughs> That was crazy. Like, my opinion, that was incredibly stupid of me to take the job Mm. but at that time right my thinking was okay if I can get into any form of design copywriting anything close to that I will take it Mm. right Mm. so when I first started yes it was a thousand eight but I got to do a phenomenal amount of things and a lot of exposure and a lot of exposure yeah but in the long run that wasn't sustainable how long do you spend in that job that I was paying a thousand eight? At least three, four years. Three years. And At least three, four years. Yeah. And on hindsight, would you have reduced that number of years? Uh yeah, I would have reduced it by exactly one year. Mm. Because I think I picked up more than enough. Mm. Um, I was operating near independently. So I think there were two takeaway points from just this section, right? Where one thing. Being prudent with your money and really getting the most value instead of just going up the trends and being flashy for the sake of it. And the second thing is the early years of your career are extremely formative. So there's always this balance of how much are you learning and how much are you earning. And if you are learning, but at a salary that is maybe below market rate, Mm. how much time do you give yourself? I think that's a very important question because I do get a lot of questions when having conversations with friends, especially when if they're in their 20s, where they feel that maybe they're not learning as much, but then they do not want to move Mm. or they are Mm. stuck there. And I, the advice is always like, go and look out the market, you do not know you might be a lot more valuable and you probably are a lot more valuable than your current employer is seeing you. Correct. Of course, that's the thing about loyalty. Just to cut in on that, I think a lot of times, if they were offered more money, right, the mm. loyalty wouldn't matter. Mm. So, the whole loyalty thing to me, I'm not saying all the time. Mm. A lot of times, it's a lie. Mm. Okay? My gut sense is that we don't have a culture of tasting and trying enough. But the thing is, the the loyalty thing, right? There are people I've seen, their CVs, they're literally moving every less than six months. (laughs) That is a red flag. Whenever I'm reviewing candidates, that is a red flag. You want to ask a little bit more on that. But I mean, apparently it used to be two years, now it's one year. So like if you were to hang out 
in a company for two years, I would say, and then after that you move. I don't think it's particularly disloyal, yeah. especially if you've contributed something, right? Mm. It's like if you're there for five years, right, and you have not done a single thing that of value, right, then no matter how loyal you are, mm. there's really no point in continuing in that company. Mm. So my comparison is always, okay, if I'm in a company and I say I want to work there for two years, like how much can I contribute? What mm. can I do? Mm. And I will make sure that I go all out to achieve it first. Mm. But if they are saying that they don't want to move, my gut sense is that a lot of times we don't have a culture of trying. If you did well in school, there are certain options you have, but certain other options are close to you. Right. If you don't do well in school, there are certain options you have and certain other options are close to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is this sense of like, my path is mostly predetermined. Mm. My path is set for me. All I need to do is follow. Mm. right mm. so okay. what opportunities do we have to try new things okay cca is one uh if my parents allow me to there's enrichment courses enrichment classes mm. and if my parents don't allow me to then they give me like fixed <laughs> enrichment courses right yeah. all your piano violin whatever the taekwondo the typical right mm. so we don't have an opportunity to figure out what we don't like and what we're exceptionally good at mm. and my gut sense is that most people will have something that they're really good at. Yes. Right? Yeah. Then it's up to them to figure out how they can use that skill mm. in ways that will be productive for them. So let's go back to my friend Amanda, the high achiever, right? So <laughs> if you think about what she has done with her life, right? It's She's gone from achievement to achievement. Uh, she's a communicator because she's a great news anchor mm. and a great reporter. And she's very multifaceted. She's very multifaceted. Mm. And she she's also a, like a musician, yeah. like a hardcore like violinist. Yeah. So she was able to marry her two abilities mm. together. Mm. And she's actually a lead communicator at a, a symphony orchestra in Boston. Mm. And she's auditioning for a violin chair. Mm. So she's found a way to marry what she's good at and what she likes with, like, a real-life job. So, I mean, she clearly, whether or not she likes it or not, she's, like, a hustler, right? Yeah. She is kind of, like, banging out all these achievements. 100%. Back-to-back back before 100%. the age of 25. Correct. And remember, she has, like, student loans. Mm. But she's paying her own way. Mm. So, is it possible? I think if she can do it, I think a good number of us will be able to do it. Mm. I'm not saying that she doesn't have privilege. But for like all of us who are middle class kids, I think there is something to say about not about worrying so much and then actually not really going out there and getting it done. But there's a lot of pressure, right? Which is then, you know, is that the possibility that we can swing all the way to the other side? Because what we've seen recently in China is the Tangping yep. trend where young people <laughs> in China, they are reportedly exhausted by a culture of hard work mm -hmm. with what they think to be seemingly little reward. And in this case, it tends to be seemingly little financial reward, career progression, mm. Thus highlighting the need for that lifestyle change by lying flat. And for listeners who might not know this, so Tang Ping in Mandarin literally translates to lying flat. And this was done by um, a netizen called Kindhearted Traveller. And he created this post describing his experience living off 
200 renminbi, which translates to US $30 per month with two meals a day without working for a couple of years in China with the 996 lifestyle. And the 996 lifestyle basically means working six days a week, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And by doing this, he reported that this experience enhanced his physical and mental freedom. And right. this was basically, I mean, like Tang Ping, in how he describes this, a little bit like that fire lifestyle, if you will. And in short, he says that lying down is this wise man movement. And there are different perspectives to this, right? Because supporters can see it's a rejection of this struggle and endless striving towards career goals which might be meaningless in you know, the broader thing of what life should be about. But then on the other hand, critics may put it down as defeatist and unsurprisingly, Chinese state media would obviously discourage this, right? Because label productivity is positively linked to the standard metric of economic growth, which is gross domestic product. So, going back to what you said of um, the young generation, they are not as, they are not any less driven, but there is this element of fear. Mm. Taking into account this Tangping culture, which I think that it sounds like it might be actually out of utility more than fear. Right. What do you think as someone who's looking at this trend? You know, I can't speak for like people younger than me, but mm. I will be able to speak for myself. And I can tell you that there were many times in this entire like working career and actually studying career or my life, right? Mm. Where I chose to lie down, mm. right? And I think everyone has a different measure of like what is intensity. But if a large number of people have decided that they're going to like lie flat mm. and not do anything for a while, I think it speaks a lot more to the problems that late-stage capitalism is causing rather than the fact that, like, young people are, like, oh, softer or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and in Singapore included, right? Mm. A lot of people are throwing themselves into their work full-time, whether they're working in startups or they're working in MNCs. Work, like, wraps your life up, mm. right? You wake up, you read your messages, mm. you have breakfast, you're looking at your email... You go out on your commute, you're answering messages. Mm. It is never ending. Mm. And I think a lot of them feel like they don't have a choice with this. They feel like they're not allowed to draw a line, mm. right? A really good example would be my wife, mm -hmm. okay? She would be answering messages at like 9, 10, 11 p.m. at night, mm. uh, reading emails. And I always say, you can put it down, you know. Mm -hmm. You can put the phone down if you want to. Mm. But she'll look at me and she'll go, I don't think I can. Mm. And therein lies like that quandary, right, of do I put it down and maybe miss an opportunity to jump at something? Or do I choose to like switch off my phone? And then tomorrow morning, I have the energy and the mental space mm. to like go all out again. I, I do find that they're trying to draw the line more, isn't it? They are trying without success because they don't have, a, they don't have someone to help tell them it's okay. Mm. And a lot of times, you need like older millennials like you and me to sit down and go, look, if you reply the email tomorrow, mm. it's still going to be fine. <laughs> you know? Mm. And I think it's got to do with like our achievement culture, right? Mm -hmm. Being first, having the best assessment, being sufficiently outspoken. Mm. Like the pressure to do that is so high. It's in the background every day. Mm. I am not surprised that people are burning out. Mm. 
this issue has been going on since we started working. Hmm. But it's so much more prevalent now because the ability for someone to, a client, a boss, a colleague to reach out and touch you at 11pm, 12pm at night Mm. is so much more accessible. Yes. So my solution is always just draw the line. Just choose to draw the line. But I also link this back to how do we look at our sense of self-worth? Because in Singapore, at least, when mm. I, I feel that a lot of it has always been very predicated on career or what are your, what you're doing, you know, be it on your day job and then now there's this additional pressure of this side hustle. And, and the things we can see in family gatherings, right? It manifests with, you know, the questions that our aunties, uncles ask, right? You know, what, what are you doing now? Or how much salary you earn now? How much salary do you earn? <laughs> and then if, if, if all that is in place, and why are you getting married? There's a lot of that, <laughs> right? And it kind of fosters or encourages this overemphasis or sense of self-worth on just a person's job. Because like you mentioned with your wife, the thing mm. is you also want to value mental health, which is much more important than how yeah. much you're earning that month, yeah. right? You want to be able to value things like time spent with your loved ones, right? And how is that coming to play if everybody's sense of self-worth is so much focused on their job? Yeah, and it's a really good question because we have always attached our achievement to grades. Mm. Then after that, how much money you're making? Then after that, when are you getting... When do you have a girlfriend or do you have a boyfriend? Then of that, are you getting married, right? Mm. So all your traditional markers of success, success quote unquote success, quote unquote success, right? Mm. When actually the question that you should be asking yourself is, are you satisfied, mm. right? Yeah. And the moment you get there, and so that's my answer to people who are like ask who ask me, what job are you doing now? How much are you making? I'm like. I almost never answer that as a rule. Mm. And that, that has conditioned all my relatives to not ask, to not ask that question. That's awesome. Right. Mm. So my answer is always, I think I'm pretty happy doing what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it. Mm. I like I like doing what I do. Did you see? Did you see what I what I shared on like Facebook? Did you see what I shared on Instagram? Mm. You know? So I steer like my habit is to steer the conversation away from hard assets and mm. like to do you see how much fun I'm having? Mm. So I always have this story that I tell people, right? Is mm. that when I was very young, I always thought that I wanted to be a road sweeper. <gasps> I really love that. Like, oh my God. I really okay. love, I always, mm. you know, because it's like, when you're five or four or five, you think, quite fun, huh? you can like go out, hang mm. out. You think of going out as having fun. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I want to be a road sweeper. So the standard reaction from everybody is, no, you can't. Mm. Because road sweeping is only for people who like don't have accomplishment in life, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. basically, you didn't study hard enough. Mm. But my parents, uh, my mother always had always taken the lesson of you want to be a road sweeper, you can. Mm. But you must be so good at it <laughs> that you're the kind of road sweeper that the president will give a medal to. Right. It's metaphorical, mm. right? And I think it's in steps. You've got to be good at something. And when you're good at something, you tend to like it. Mm. And when you like it, it becomes a virtuous cycle, right? You like something, so you do more of it. You do more of it, you're, you get better at it. Mm. And eventually, you get so good at it mm. that people give you an award for it. Mm. Okay? So that's the core requirement. Later on in life, it's, okay, do you think you'll be happy doing this? 
do you think that you're good at it? So there was one point in time and I was only like in university and I didn't even really want to go to university, to be honest, okay? Until I was told, okay, you go and figure out what you want to do first and then you take that course. Who told you that? My mom, mm. right? Because she said, look, I'm not going to force you to do business course or like do whatever, right? Like do something that you're good at, right? Right. Find it and then like we work together to get you in. Mm. And that's what I did basically. Mm. So that's how I ended up working on doing communications because I knew I could write. Mm. I knew I liked to write. Mm. I knew I was good at writing and I liked to speak. Mm. And I knew that I was good at speaking. Mm. And so, like, it's just a natural dovetail of everything I've discovered in the first 21 years of my life. Right. Right. So, right after NS, I knew exactly what I could do. Mm-hmm. And would, would I say that that's the thing that then I, I thought, oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life? No. Mm. I didn't know. Mm. But did I know that I was good at it? Yeah. And so, it's only because I was trying things. Right, like I was like tech savvy because I like computers, so I tried that. I like the drama, so I tried that. I like public speaking, so I tried that. Mm-hmm. I was a debater before I was a public speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined poetry contests, and even if I didn't come in first, I had fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kept going with that. So right? the key is to, or the encouragement is to, mm. be as experimental. Try. And- try to at least and also to a certain depth right don't just touch and go touch right. and go not right. you know not just attending a a debating class for like a weekend right but really go at it with a certain level of depth yeah actually go in actually get your ass kicked in a debate mm. and enjoy it mm. then you kind of okay I get what I'm good at and what I'm not good at mm. right yep. and, and stick with it sustain do it for a year. Do it for 18 months. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't like the culture, you don't you don't like where you're going, fine, leave. But this thing about trying as much as possible, and then we also talked about failing early. Mm. How would you, what would our words of advice that you give somebody who is just starting out, they have the additional pressures that they're putting on themselves to be successful. <laughs> so to, to try different things and to f- fail as often as possible could run counter to that, right? Yeah. But Mm. just remember that before I started on my real job, this is something that I've shared before uh, on my blog, and that is that I told the story of being fired from my first full-time job Mm. that I was only with for like six months Mm. before I found the actual job that I was going to do. Right. Right? And... So it's okay to try because I was a communications graduate doing a product executive job, started working there. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. But like the same spirit, right? Just figure out if you're good at it um, by trying. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, lah, I was terrible at it, lah. Mm. right? Mm. And it's okay to know that you suck, mm. but you learn something from it. Mm. And you learn how to adapt really quickly, right? Because... You go from, okay, I have a job to, oh no, like next week, I'll be out of a job. Mm. It really motivates you to figure. And by that time, like I was cut off. Like there was no allowance. There was no, you know, it's your savings. You're on your own, buddy. Mm. Mm. Good luck. If you don't have a job, too bad. By your parents? Yes. Could you still stay in the house? Yeah. (laughs) 
I guess. Mm. Uh, and it, you know, whatever is available to eat, you eat. But I'm yeah. not gonna like... <laughs> I'm not gonna... They're not gonna lavish you. Right. You know? Mm. So, it's counterintuitive to try and fail. And then, like when you go for your full-time job, to expect also to succeed at the, at the first go. Mm. And I'm lucky. I found the thing that I was good at mm. on the second go. Which is great, right? Because... I find that people might not fail, they mm-hmm. might not succeed spectacularly, mm-hmm. but they might keep on grinding and realize, you know, the midlife crisis, or maybe realize in their 30s or mm-hmm. their 40s that they are unhappy, unsatisfied. But by then, you might have golden handcuffs. By then, you might have too much to lose to yep. stray off the path. You might have a home, you might have kids. And, and financial you, obligations. Right. And that brings me to a point of like, if you are living a life that you have control over, mm. then you can brand your life in a way where everything you do and all the people you meet mm. will align. Yeah. Right? So your friends are aligned with how you think. Mm. Your romantic partners are aligned with how you think. Mm. And if they aren't aligned with how you think, mm-hmm. you should leave them. Mm. It's okay. You know, mm. because I'd rather you have like this quick pain than a long term pain that completely destroys you in the end. Mm. And I've seen that happen, mm. right? With with relatives, I've seen that happen with friends. You know, friends have ended up in divorces because their lifestyles are completely different, mm. but they force it because they think that the other person will change. Right. Right? Mm. And when you have outsized dreams, when you are taking the path a little bit less walked, yeah, you are going to be in, in situations where your partner is just, no, nope, I'm not doing it. Mm. That's time to walk away. And that means making bold decisions. That means making bold decisions. And okay, and in typical BFF podcast style, we're going to end this off with quick fire round of five questions. Okay. So the first one is, what is the most expensive thing that you have bought that you don't regret? My MacBook Pro. Mm, okay. I never regret that. It's a big purchase for me because I don't like to spend thousands of dollars on Anything. on any single item. Yeah. But it's like, it's already paid for itself. Mm. Yeah. Second one is, what is the most expensive thing that you have bought that you do regret? I think it's got to be a gaming laptop that I bought. Okay. Yeah. Which brand was it? It was an Alienware. Mm. And I bought it like a few years ago. Mm. But I never really spent enough time gaming. Ah, Yeah. I used to be like a super big gamer. But Mm. now, I barely touch it. Right. Yeah. So, I guess that was the thing that I regret buying. Okay, Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Third one is, what is the best money advice that you've gotten? Uh, save early, invest early. Okay. Fourth is, what is the lowest amount of money you've had in your bank account after the age of 21? Oh, I remember this very distinctly. Mm. I had $2.95 oh, shit. left. You are the current lowest. Yeah. Because previously it was like $9 or some high... Below 10, above 5. I was owed months of salary at a place where I shall not disclose the mm. name. Months of salary. 
and it took them such a long time to pay me back. Mm. Yeah, and I quit. Yeah, and when I quit, I literally had $2.95 left in my bank account. That is very scary, isn't it? I borrowed money to take the train home on the last day of work from like a stranger. Do you ever get that money back? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) Over like two years, they slowly pay me back. Oh my God. Do you still talk to that stranger? Uh, You know, that lady was very kind. So I was sitting at the bus stop. I looked in my wallet. I realized that I hadn't top up my card because, you know, the 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 minimum amount of top up, I think that time was like five bucks or something like mm-hmm. that. And I didn't have five bucks with me. Oh. So I was like, I'm sorry, miss. I don't have money to take like the train or the bus back. Can you like let me five bucks to top up my card? And this was age 20. I really don't remember. I, I, was, I think I was like mid to late already, mm. 20s. I was like so broke that time. Mm. I was packing food from home to eat. I was like eating like $2.50 chai fun. Mm. Kind of like white rice and vegetables. Three vegetables, one rice. Maybe like two vegetables. One egg. If you're feeling extravagant, then three (laughs) vegetables. That kind of like sad life. uh. Yeah. Okay. And my favorite parting question. Would you live your life differently if you had $10 million in the bank today? Uh, Yeah. I would probably blow a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) What on? But you know, now that like on hindsight, right? Mm. If I had 10 million, I wouldn't do the Singaporean thing and buy property. I wouldn't. Okay. Right? Mm. Because property is like such an expensive game in Singapore. Mm -hmm. But what I would do is invest in in very stable investments that give me like good return Mm -hmm. and good dividends Mm. and then just live off that money. Right, so no super high risk kind of asset, stable, stable, very stable, very safe, very, very you know because you have ten million dollars, right? Mm. All you need to do for the rest of your life that's true is to live off the dividends because just the capital relax. alone, correct? Cool. And with that, we've come to the end of today's show. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with me and for listeners who want to find out more about you. Your social media posts, you know, instead of finding you on LinkedIn, where can they find you? Five, that's the number five. M-E-A-N-D-E-R-S. Five meanders. Cool. And I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook Got as it. well. All right, till the next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcasts at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts, or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from Mediacorp and recorded at Skate Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.